I offer my respectful obeisances to all the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. Just like desire trees, they can fulfill the desires of everyone. They are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. What can be said of the of the of the uh, extraordinary mercy of having the association of those devotees of the Lord who can actually who actually themselves are places of pilgrimage, who can completely purify our existence. Uh, the pure unalloyed devotee, if we simply see his face, uh, the benefit is, is just unimaginable, just to see Krishna's pure devotee. What to speak is to have their association. This association of, of Krishna's devotees is our saving grace. Uh, without that association, knowledge of Krishna would not be available to us. And without that association and their mercy, what would be generally very, very difficult to obtain is, becomes very easy. The yoga process, the different processes, study of the Veda, uh, Gyan, Sankhya, uh, Hatha, uh, Raj, all these different processes are there in the Vedas, but... Uh, to, to follow these processes and, and actually attain a relief from the sufferings of material existence is a very, very difficult task. But uh, that task is made extremely easy if we are fortunate enough to take advantage of Krishna's pure devotees, to associate with devotees and hear from them. Immediately, we can be elevated to the topmost platform of spiritual realization with very little endeavor. Uh, so their mercy is compared here to a, it's an, like an ocean. And their, their association is just like a desire tree. Whatever we can desire that is good for, our, good for us, they make available through the process of devotional service. Uh, nothing, nothing is unattainable for someone who follows the process of devotional service and who takes shelter of, of uh, the Vaishnavas. So uh, it's our extreme good fortune to, uh, to have their association and to have each other's association and to take advantage and to advance in spiritual life because of that good association. Abrahma Bhuvanaloka Punar Avar Tinorjuna Mamupechat Kauteya Punar Janmana Vijite. From the highest planet in the material world down to the lowest, all are places of misery wherein repeated birth and death take place. But one who attains to my abode, O son of Kunti, never takes birth again. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. Kind of begin where we left off last week. Here Krishna is giving technical information starting uh, in the ninth text, which is directed to those, to those yogis. And it's, uh, it's specifically in regard to arranging for circumstances under which one can attain uh, the perfection of yoga. Generally, the yogis are, are not 
even though they're extremely advanced in uh, their spiritual discipline and their spiritual science, unfortunately, unless they've been blessed with the association of one of Krishna's intimate associates, Krishna's pure devotees, although they're they're great sages and uh, you know so much more elevated and, and higher than the than the gross materialist, which is who is simply interested in exploiting this world for his uh, own purposes. Uh, they also their service, their practice of yoga is also without some tinge of self motivation. They may not have the gross motivations uh, to uh, to enjoy like the fruitive worker who simply wants to work hard in this world and enjoy the fruits of his labor. Uh, but still they, they have some motivation. They want liberation. They want freedom from the repeated cycle of samsara. They want relief from the miseries of material existence. These instructions Krishna is giving here, and if you read the verses this week and studied the purports, uh, Prabhupada makes it clear that all these various yogis, whether they be uh, karma yogis who are following Vedic direction to, to elevate themselves uh, to a higher planetary system, uh, the jnani yogis who are simply interested in, uh, in basically uh, understanding fully the distinction between what is matter and what is spirit, and in understanding that distinction, maintaining a consciousness which is devoid of material desire and which leads them to a state of, uh, of freedom uh, from karmic involvement and uh, their ultimate destination, uh, their desired destination, is not the higher planets as the, uh, as the, the fruit of work or the karmi, uh, the karmi yogi. Karmi yogi, he follows the Vedas for elevation to higher planet and the the jnani yogi, the one in knowledge, who, who's able to distinguish material activity and material activity and transcendental activity, he's able to make that distinction. The the purpose of his study of his jnana, of his jnana yoga, this 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 process of niti niti of discrimination of of pushing away material things is basically a freedom and. Their knowledge, if not complete, if not tinged with devotional service, will simply give them a merging into the Lord's transcendental energy, uh, referred to commonly as the Brahma Jyoti. The void of personality, not satisfying to the soul, but certainly a great relief from, from the, you know, the cycle of birth and death, a great relief from a karmic reaction, but still not pleasing to the heart. Then we have the mystic yogi, and the directions here are, 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 are directed by Krishna to this class of practitioner. And the mystic yogi, he understands that there is, he understands through his mature meditation that the Lord's energy permeates everything and that there is personality in that energy. And that that personality is residing in his very self, as Paramatma in the heart. And not only in his self, but in all living entities. And throughout the material universe. Certainly a higher level of realization. But generally, loving exchange with the Lord is not there. 
simply a sense of awe and reverence for the Lord as Paramatma in the heart. So these instructions, one should meditate upon the Supreme Person as the one who knows everything, who is the oldest, who is the controller, who is smaller than the smallest, who is the maintainer of everything, who is beyond all material conception, who is inconceivable, and who is always a person. He is luminous like the sun, and he is transcendental beyond the material nature. So Krishna is giving directions. Know that first. Supreme person. He is a person. So the emphasis is there. He knows everything. He's all pervasive, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He's the controller, smaller than the smallest. And Prabhupada points in the points out in the purport that the soul within the body is a basic calculation is given in the Vedas that the size of that small particle of spirit soul within the body is one ten thousandth the size of the tip of the hair. Imagine, such a small particle of spiritual energy is pervading and giving consciousness and energy to our entire body. Practically infinitesimal. One ten thousandth the tip of the hair. Krishna is smaller than the smallest. He enters, he is in the heart of that living entity. So small. Within the heart of our self. Our self, which is in this gross material body made of earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. Krishna is so small that he's within that particle of spiritual energy. And still he's all pervasive. He's smaller than the smallest, but he's also all-pervasive. Larger than the largest. Largest than all the universes. All the universes reside within him. He's the maintainer of everything. Who is beyond all material conception. Who is inconceivable. And who is always a person. Well, well, why are we wasting our time here? He's inconceivable. Yes, he's inconceivable to our teeny intellect to our small intellect who can understand God but not only is he inconceivable to our intellect but he's also we are his eternal fragmental part and parcel so even though he's inconceivable to our intellect by the mercy by his mercy we can perceive his presence and have some knowledge of him Not all knowledge, but enough to get us by. Enough that once we start learning of his his spiritual character, of his spiritual nature, of his unlimited pastimes, we become fully, fully saturated. So in the beginning of spiritual life, in the beginning of transcendental inquiry, there is a lot of gyan. There is so much gone. We are, we are learning so much knowledge about how the Lord pervades and, and supports everything, about how he creates this material universe, about how his energy of time affects everything in the universe, how we change from bodies about the whole construction 
of the material universe, from the highest planet to the... All this knowledge is given in the Vedas. And then we start learning about Krishna's personal associates of those great saints and sages of not only Brahma and Shiva and Vishnu who are in charge of the universe, we learn of Krishna's intimate devotees. We learn of all the progenitors of mankind. We learn uh, of Narada Muni, the transcendental spaceman that spreads devotional service throughout the universe. And we go on and just as devotees, just think of how much you've just skimmed the surface of your understanding of Krishna. And the thirst for understanding more and more about Krishna is basically unquenchable. We go to a class and we learn something of Krishna and then we want to read more and we want to hear more. The more we chant, the more we read, the more the thirst increases. We read Bhagavad Gita once, twice, three, ten, fifteen, a fifty, a hundred times in a lifetime, and we still, every time we read, it's a storehouse of knowledge. It's ever-increasing. So that knowledge is there of Krishna, but ultimately, finally, in perfecting your devotional life, first of all, all that knowledge, what's Krishna, how's Krishna summarize all that knowledge in Bhagavad Gita? Ah, oh, what is the need for all this knowledge? With a single fragmental part of my spiritual potency I pervade and support this entire universe. Just one little, what is all this, what's the need for all this knowledge? Just fall in love with me. And then you fall in love with me and then we see how Krishna's pure devotees relate with Krishna. Ah, here's Mother Yasoda and the boys are complaining of Krishna, he's eating some dirt. Oh, and the coward boy. They're just trying to make it, you know, get Krishna in trouble with Mother Yasoda. He's eating some dirt. No. Krishna, why are you eating dirt? I have so many sweetmeats. Let me look in your mouth. Now Krishna opens his mouth, and in his mouth, Mother Yasoda sees all the universes, sees all the living entities, sees the moon and the stars. She perceives everything there. She becomes a little bewildered. Who is this son of mine? Oh, close your mouth. It's okay. You have it even. <laughs> so all this knowledge, all this position of understanding Krishna with our tiny brain, and we can never fully comprehend, but when we fall in love with Krishna, like Mother Yasoda, there's no need for comprehension. Oh, close your mouth here. Let me give you a sweet meat. Don't think of eating dirt again. <clears throat> One who at the time of death fixes his life air between the eyebrows and by the strength of yoga, by the strength of yoga, with, all, uh, with an undeviating mind, engages himself in remembering the Supreme Lord in full devotion, will certainly attain to the supreme personality of Godhead. Persons who are learned in the Vedas, who utter omkara, and who are great sages in the renounced order, enter in Trabaman, desiring such perfection, 
One practices celibacy. I shall now briefly explain to you this process by which one may attain salvation. Again, Krishna is giving direction for the salvationist. You desire to end the miseries of material existence and the yogi has this desire. So Krishna is given instruction. Well, because generally speaking, generally the presentation of the process of liberation, of devotional service, is tinged with some desire. And it is very seldom that, it is very seldom that the mystery of pure devotional love for the Lord, untinged with self-motivation, is presented to mankind. Krishna has no problem giving liberation, but giving himself to his pure devotee, that's a different thing. That requires some special mercy. Mm. Kripa from Krishna's Vaishnavas. Mm. The yogic situation is that of detachment from all sensual engagement, closing all the doors of the sense and fixing the mind on the heart and the life air on the top of the head. One establishes himself in yoga. After being situated in this yoga practice and vibrating the sacred syllable Om, the supreme combination of letters, if one thinks of the supreme personality of Godhead and quits his body, he will certainly reach the spiritual planets. And then Krishna gets to the heart of the matter. Okay, here's the technical way you have to do it. You have to perfect your yoga. You have to concentrate your yoga power. You have to be able to... And Krishna will give you a little bit more detail later as to specific times and, and, and ways that one has to leave uh, the material body. He goes on in the next verse and, and he basically... Now he, he begins to speak to the devotee because... The instruction for the, for the yogi is there, but beyond this yoga practice, there is the practice of devotion. For one who, is, who always remembers me without deviation, I am easy to obtain. Easy. All these technical points, closing the doors of the senses and, and uh, taking the life air up through the chakras and, and fixing the... Fixing uh, at the time of death, the life air, uh, you know, between the eyes. That's all there. Here's all the technical things. Or, there's an easier way. For one who always remembers me, without deviation, I am easy to obtain, O son of Prita, because of his constant engagement and devotional service. Now, if you read the verses in Purports this week, what do we find Prabhupada stresses again and again, Purport after Purport? Chanting Hare Krishna as the way of reaching this level of remembrance. The end of uh, text 11, the end of, oh, where was it? Anyway, there's three, three or four times in this series of verses in Bhagavad Gita where Krishna is giving instruction as to how we should fix our consciousness at the time of death 
Prabhupada stresses again and again, the devotees can easily attain this platform by taking to the practice of chanting the Maha Mantra. Such an easy practice. But Prabhupada qualifies it. You have to do it regularly. You have to do it throughout your life. It's not something that we can just take up and think, well, at the time, when I get old, then I'll chant Hare Krishna and get my mind, set my mind right. Well, who knows how old, what's old? Old before death. Well, when are you going to die? <laughs> you? You know? We know when we're going to die? I can die right now. My, I could have some little thing in my brain <laughs> squirt out some blood and poof. My heart would stop. Done. Finished. I'm an old man right this second then. I'm all right. right? I'm, I'm old. Old. Right now. Because if the brain comes, the, the heart stops, I die. Sometimes old is a couple months. is a couple days. Sometimes old age is 80. Sometimes old age is 40. 20, 10, 5. We don't know when old age is because we do not know when death is. That's why throughout our life, no matter we're old or young, we have to take up to the, this process of chanting. Because why? Because then, by that chanting, then we can attain this state that Krishna is referring to in the 14th verse. One who always remembers me. By chanting constantly, we're always remembering Krishna. Therefore, at the time of death, it's very easy, Krishna says. One who always remembers me without deviation, I am easy to obtain. We don't have to worry about all the technical stuff. We don't have to worry about the time of departure. We don't have to worry if the sun is up or the sun is down. If the moon is waning or the moon is waxing, those things become irrelevant when we fix our mind throughout our life on Krishna by the simple process of chanting constantly. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Throughout our life, continually, we can chant this Maha Mantra. Mm. After attaining me, the great souls who are yogis in devotion never return to this temporary world which is full of miseries because they obtained the highest perfection. Never again. And then Krishna goes on in the verse that we chanted this evening to make the point. You may think you can be happy in this material world, but guess what? If you knew your that what is available in the spiritual world, if you actually attain to my abode, you'll see properly that within a material universe, from the highest planet down to the lowest, all are places of misery. All are places of misery? <laughs> like the moon? Like Indra's planet? You know, the sun god's planet? I've heard that you go to these higher planets, you live for hundreds of thousands of years. Yes, but from Krishna's viewpoint, miserable. Miserable. 
Yeah, but there's no disease. There's no old age in the heavenly planets. Yeah, that's a fact. No disease, no old age. But there is death. And when you have emptied your pious bank account, when you've lived out your joyous life in the heavenly planets with all the heavenly men and women who reside there enjoying unlimitedly in pleasure groves, no time clock, (laughs) don't have to go to work every day, simply enjoying unlimitedly But when the bank account of pious activities is expired, where? You come back down. Even you go to Brahma's planet. Brahma, Brahma's lifetime and later. Even even Brahma. And we'll find out later. I don't know, it's already getting late. But later in the chapter, detailed information in there about the lifetime of Brahma. Trillions of years in our estimate. Trillions of years Brahma lives. And every time, even his one day is unimaginable to us. His day, 4,320,000,000 years. One day. 1,000 cycles of the four yugas. And in the purport, Prabhupada gives the details of the length of the yuga. This is, the, this is the shortest yuga. This fallen age of man where at the most we live in one body for a hundred years if we're lucky. This is the worst age of man. This age is 432,000. Double that. 864,000 is Dwarpa Yuga. In that age, live in one body for 1,000 years. Treta Yuga, three times the length of Kali Yuga, 432,000, 432,000 times three. And Satya Yuga, and again in that age, the lifespan is even longer. Then Satya Yuga, the golden age, the, the, it's actually, in, in, in this age we have, uh, we have the Varnashram system. Because society needs to be be developed according to uh, the characteristics of mankind. In that age, Satya Yuga, everybody is Hamsa. What's that mean? Paramahamsa. Everybody in that age, there's no distinction. They're all realized realized souls who only seek out spiritual advancement. Like the swan, they only go for the real nectar. And they're so qualified that in material life they can separate the spiritual from the material. Hardly a tinge of material desire. That age, that age of mankind, four times the length of Kali Yuga. So what are we up to? 432, 1,700,000. 728. Yes. Such a long time. 10,000 years in one body. Wow. Or no, 100,000? 100,000, yes. 10,000 is is straight a yuga. 1,000 is... 1,000 years in one body is uh, Dwarpa yuga. And 100 years is Kali yuga, this age. 
decreasing down to hardly hardly any lifespan by the end of this age. By the end of this age, mankind's degenerated to a point that we don't even want to discuss. Bearing children <laughs> simply for food. Living underground. Anyway, best to become Krishna conscious. We don't want to come back here. It's just going to get worse and worse. Krishna goes on to bring the point even further, from the highest planet to the lowest, and then he goes on to give, give some knowledge of the calculations that we've just kind of reviewed. By human calculation, a thousand ages taken together form the duration of Brahma's one day, and such also is the duration of his night. Now at the end of Brahma's day, there is a partial de devastation of the material universe that that particular Brahma is, is presiding over. So when, uh, when his day is ended, uh, all of the planetary systems up to his planet, and there's, there's uh, what, three other uh, planetary systems up there, Tapaloka, Mahaloka, Jnanaloka, uh, all, the, all the residents of those higher planets are perfected beings, near perfected beings. I believe, I just read in uh, Brihat Bhagavatamrita that when the fire of devastation comes at the end of Brahma's one day and all the lower planetary systems, which includes all the, all the heavenly planets, all the swarga planets, when they are devastated, uh, the heat is so much from that devastation that although Maha, uh, Maharloka is not destroyed, uh, the heat is so much that those residents go up one level uh, uh, to Tapaloka. Uh, so uh, all this knowledge is given of, of how the material universes are constructed and, uh, and uh, the duration of, of time, the durations of time and the, and the divisions of uh, the ages of mankind. Uh, and Krishna's giving some glimpse here in Bhagavad Gita. Uh, more detailed knowledge is certainly there in, uh, in uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, particularly the, uh, uh, the fifth canto, uh, where uh, very detailed knowledge is given of all the planetary systems. Uh, I believe that canto is called the Cosmic Manifestation. More knowledge of the division. When we're talking of uh, those planets from the heavenly planets down to the, the hellish planets, uh, the Patala Loka, uh, there's 14 divisions of planetary systems. And Earth planet is in the center. And basically the divisions of residence on those planets is according to gradations of their consciousness and how much they were influenced by Krishna's material potency, the modes of material nature. So in the heavenly planets, uh, practically everyone is is in the mode of goodness, very little ignorance and passion, and uh, therefore they have the benefits of those higher planets, long life, mystic potencies and powers. Coming down earth planet, very much in the mode of passion, uh, oceans of salt water, <laughs> sweat. Down to the hellish planets uh, where uh, ignorance is the predominating mode of material nature, uh, lust, anger, greed, avarice, uh, uh, the predominating characteristics of those entities that preside on those lower planetary systems. Very hellish existence. But also on those lower planetary systems, those living entities are so much desirous of enjoying this material world 
that they they have no no knowledge whatsoever of the Lord. It's explained that sometimes all the residents of the higher planetary systems are demigods. That means they know God. They know they know God and they serve God through their through their life's work. And they work in universe, they have good jobs. They work in universal administration, in charge of the moon, in charge of the sun, in charge of the rainfall, in charge of uh, all the vegetation. Even so much that the demigods even control the blinking of our eyelid. Don't ask me how that happens, but that's explained in the Vedas. That they are even in controlling something so simple as that uh, in the life of every living entity. Uh, in the lower planets. Uh, but they're knowledgeable of God. But there's also subterranean heavenly planets which are predominated by demoniac people, but they have such a desire to enjoy that they're heavenly, they're enjoying in a heavenly way. Mm. Better than on earth, but in a lower mentality conducted by the mode of ignorance. Um. And then Krishna, and we'll get into this next week, we'll just end on a good note. Uh, yet there is another unmanifested nature, which is eternal and is transcendental to this manifested and unmanifested matter. It is supreme and is never annihilated. When all in this world is annihilated, that part remains as it is. So even the devastation at the end of Brahma's day, the partial devastation of the universe from the lowest, lower hellish planets up to the higher heavenly planets, excepting where Brahma resides, those planetary systems at the top of the universe, at the end of every day, the universe, universal fire comes and those lower planetary Planetary systems are 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 devastated, and then then Brahma can have some rest. Then he wakes up, and the whole thing starts again. If you read the verses, Prabhupada explains that at the time of devastation, that period of Brahma's sleeping is is actually for the for all the living entities that are that are that have not attained perfection in this world. <laughs> Uh, the, it's not a very pleasant time because can you imagine no activity for such a long period of time when Vishnu takes all the all the living entities back into his existence as Brahma rests. But here in this verse twenty, Krishna begins to give us some information as to his transcendental abode. Unmanifested nature means it's not manifested to us. Uh, in this material world. It's eternal and transcendental. Life there is eternal. The influence of time is not there. There's no influence of the modes of material nature. There's no death. Mm. It is supreme and it is never, never annihilated. When all in this world is annihilated, that part remains as it is.